Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with the writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Blueprint for a Literate Nation, How You Can Help. And joining me to discuss the book that's been authored by Cynthia Coletti is one of the co-authors, Dr. Richard Long. Rich, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you very much, Jay. This is an extensive read, uh, 668 pages. I'm sure it took a while to get completed. To share the, the background passion not only of you as a, uh, an educator and as a person of, uh, uh, of education, but also that of Cynthia. Well, uh, Cynthia opens the book with a discussion about kind of what was a shock to her intellectually, but then as you go very quickly into the book, uh, you find out that her passion is to be helping uh, children like her own and uh, who had difficulty learning how to read, were clearly capable uh, people, and uh, the frustration that, that she felt and ran into as she was trying to negotiate a very complex process uh, that our school system is. And um, so that led her uh, through uh, her professional and her business career uh, to take the ideas that she learned in business and apply them to the education sector. And she began looking at uh, what do we know works, what has been proven to work, uh, and then finding about these enormous barriers we're having. Uh, and she was shocked to find that there's a high number of kids who are out there who are you know, struggling readers, essentially. They're struggling learners, you, you know, you, for economic purposes, for English language learning purposes, uh, dyslexic or specific learning disabled. And, and she coined the phrase seeds kids because at their core, they all need a teacher who has knowledge about how to teach these kids how to read. Absolutely. Without reading, of course, uh, everything else is, is they're locked out of. How did you, you begin this process of uh, collaborating on this work? Uh, is this something that's been going on for a number of years? You have several contributors to this, this work and to this 668-page book. Uh, how did it begin? Well, um, Cynthia had worked on an earlier book, uh, which I also contributed to, and she f found that it was uh, only part of the story. And, 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 and so she began working on this rather long version, which is essentially in three major parts. Uh, one is identifying that there is a problem, and it isn't just a problem for these kids. It's a challenge for our nation, both in terms of the viability of our democracy, uh, but also our economic ability to compete um, in, in an ever-increasing uh, world economy. Then uh, to, to talks about what, what should be done, and she looks at the research, and uh, uh, she 
has over 400 um, studies that have been reviewed by scholars, and we call this adjudicated, um, so that we know that the methodology is sound, the conclusions make sense, and it isn't just one person's idea of a good idea. Rather, she's brought together by a massive review. Uh, and then uh, the, the, the final part is a model of, of how to take uh, what we know and to change our laws, because education is a public uh, endeavor. Uh, it is primarily the responsibility of the states, and they, they pass laws, regulations, and then they implement. And what we have found is that uh, they tend to only look at a couple of important elements, but there are at least nine um, critical elements out there that, that Cynthia's book addresses that relate to um, instruction and various components to make to make us successful. Rich, there have been many studies done regarding education, the repetitive learning process, and other types of approaches. What do you feel is the key to motivating students to become passionate learners? Well, it's, it, that's a, really the core of the issue, and that is that each child uh, has some distinct strengths and weaknesses. And unfortunately, we've gotten into the habit of thinking that there is just one way or just one, and, and you know, in, in the literature it's called the silver bullet. Right. If we only had the silver bullet, we could uh, then wipe out illiteracy and everything would be fine. Well, as it turns out, that um, some learners are uh, uh, have some very distinct uh, qualities, and other learners have very different ones. And if you, as a, in a in a classroom or a, or a school, if you have a a philosophy about a specific way that works, you're going to reach somewhere between. Uh, 60 and 80 percent of those kids. You're not going to hit all of them. And we find that it is using a evidence-based approach that matches what the kid needs with what the kid has and then um, presents the material in that way. So it isn't, for example, that every child then needs the exact same approach. There are vast degrees of differences, and unless we have teachers who have the professional knowledge to draw from um, and the time to implement that and the, and the material to go along with it, uh, they're not going to be successful. Isn't there also a correlation? I know that usually when there is an education system or school district that's failing the biggest or first thing that's mentioned is we need more money money being thrown at education doesn't seem to work what were your findings there well uh, money is a tool so it's if you're doing something poorly throwing more money at a problem is like is essentially wasteful if if you uh, decide that you are going to change what you're doing and you're going to, uh, let's say, for example, um, you realize that your teachers need to, to be exposed to the five uh, elements that the National Reading Panel reported. 
and and they are uh, phonemic awareness, phonics, uh, fluency, comprehension, and uh, vocabulary. And if if you've decided that you your school your teachers haven't had enough emphasis on that. Well, you are going to need money to do the professional development uh, that's going to take to turn around. So it's like any other resource. Um, You can have a a really good idea about how to change things and improve things, but you need time to do it. You also need resources to do it. You also need good account assessment systems to tell you how the child is learning and, and what things you have to change. Rich, who is your audience? The Blueprint for a Literate Nation, how you can help. The you, who is the you in your book? It is all of us and any of us. Uh, Literate Nation is working to, and using this book, to try to reach anybody who considers themselves a decision maker. That's a family member, that can be a school board member, a legislator, a governor, uh, administrator, and, and teachers. All of those uh, communities are have a decision-making role. And so we, this book, in a sense, being so long, gives information to the parent about what they should be looking for in their school, to the teacher about what they should be looking for from the research to apply in their school. So there's um, we we view this as a tool for decision makers, and, and in many ways, we're all that decision maker. How would you introduce this book to our listening audience and uh, get them interested in buying their own personal copy of Blueprint for a Literate Nation? Well, the short version of that, Jay, is that uh, Blueprint for a Literate Nation brings together a, a wide range of critical information on what needs to be changed, why it needs to be changed, and how to make the change. And so if you want to be part of a solution, this book is going to give you the tools to do it. One of the phrases that is noted in your book starts off like this, we are in charge of a million tomorrows, putting the responsibility back on the reader. Right. Um, you know, it's it's <laughs> we all have to uh, take responsibility for where the schools are today. I mean, there are school districts out there, for example, who want to change from, you know, this classroom cookie-cutter approach, one-size-fits-all, to a much more personalized approach where there's an integration of computers, there's an integration with teachers, there's an integration with parents. But you get a great deal of pushback because it doesn't look like the classroom that we all grew up with. And, you know, so part of part of what we have to understand is in order to make a difference, we got to do it differently. And um, that means all of us have to change how we think about school. This is a complex issue, uh, Rich, and a complex topic. How do you feel your book will have a positive impact on our education system? It, well, there are a lot of really good books on uh, education policy now. Um, I teach a course uh, uh, in the summers on education policy at Mississippi State. Uh, I use distance learning to do that. And 
you know, when I put my book list together and I look at what's out there every year, it's better and better. Our book is is part of a movement where we're not only though talking about what the problem is and what the problem has been and what the solution should be, but how to make that change happen. So it's you know it's, our book has in it more ingredients to make a much better broth. They can make a more balanced and uh, educated decision once they read your book. Well, what we sh- what you should be able to do when you've completed the book is to be able to walk into your school and and have a much richer conversation to say what's needed. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, um, I couldn't read, and I was put in a special class before there was special ed for all these kids who were having trouble learning. And, um, you know, what what they told my mom was I was a nice kid. And my mom kept saying, but he can't read. Teach him to read. Mm. And unfortunately, we still hear that today, that, that parents are, are, are saying, you know, no, you've got to teach my kid how to read. That's what's important here. And this book will give the, the, the uh, parents some tools and also the educators some tools. Fabulous. A very important topic and uh, certainly some wonderful solutions that you've outlined in your book. This one titled Blueprint for a Literate Nation, How You Can Help, contributing at a contributing author Dr. Richard Long has been my guest Cynthia Coletti was the primary force behind getting this book published where can we get copies of this sir well it is available online at Amazon and you, in fact we've made it uh, available for $1.99 if you want to download it if you want to buy a hard copy I think it's, it's, it's retailing on Amazon for about 18 or 19 dollars so we we We've priced it uh, so that it uh, it gets the information out there. Incredible. And you do have a website also that you can refer folks to. Yes. And on that website, uh, we have many uh, papers, suggestions, and, and, and events. Uh, the papers uh, cover specific issues related to instruction and related to, to reading, uh, especially for our SEEDS kids, our high-need kids. And uh, that's www.literatenation.org. And you also are welcome to uh, subscribe for free to our bi-monthly newsletter, Catalyst. And we chose the name Catalyst with the distinct idea about all of us being in in the mix for change. Fabulous. Uh, Rich, thank you for joining me today and sharing your story and also sharing the background of this particular and important book, Blueprint for a Literate Nation, How You Can Help. Thank you again. Thank you, Jay. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Parker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live La Bella Vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. 
Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live La Bella Vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris on Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Wilhelminus Butterflies. And joining me from Florida is former educator and now a published author, Clarice Thornton Davis. Welcome, Clarice, to the program. Hi, thank you. You have an interesting background. You were an educator for how many years? Uh, 35. 35 years, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden, uh, you had nothing to do, so you decided, well, I might as well become an author. Is that how it went, or was it something else that you've had a passion for for a long time? Yes, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time, but you know, when you're really working and you're into your career, it's kind of hard to do something like this, because writing a book is not something that's really easy, you know, and I had to have the time to do it, and be able to focus on it, but I've always kind of wanted to do something like that. Your heroine is Wilhelmina. The title talks about butterflies. Uh, share a little yes. of the story and where the inspiration came from to write this particular book. Well, I've always, well, the inspiration came from when I was a child. I had a similar experience to Wilhelmina of going to my first symphony concert when I was eight years old. And ever since then, I've always had this passion for classical music, and I've always wanted my students to be, you know, immersed in it, too. So I've always done something like that with my students. So I just figured, let me write a story about this. What is the uh, the significance of butterflies? Is that uh, uh, an actual insect, or is it more of a tummy <laughs> upset? No, it's Wilhelmina being nervous. But she doesn't realize it in the story till the story really is almost at the end. And she seems to think these butterflies are going to keep her from going to the concert. Her mother tells her in the story, you know, you've just got butterflies. But she doesn't know what that means. <laughs> Your audience... So she has to work through this butterfly feeling like the whole day. <laughs> yeah, you have you have been dealing or working with and educating young children. This book is really crafted to impact their lives as well. Yes, definitely, especially their lives, because I feel like our children should have these types of experiences because it makes them, you know, well-rounded. Is that the primary message about Wilhelmina's adventure? Is it uh, about going to a symphony, or are there other lessons that are included in this story that you've created? Well, she's going to the symphony, and it's her very first symphony. But the thing is, she has to have determination in order to get through the day because of the butterflies. She really thinks she's sick. Mm. But she's really, you know, strong about it. She's determined to do it. She wants to meet this goal of going to this concert. So this is her big problem today. But she has a friend, Penny, who's right by her side, always, you know, there 
asking her how she's feeling, you know, wants to make sure everything is well. So she gets through it. But the butterflies, are, but she doesn't realize anything about the butterflies until the end. You know, when she says something like, oh, is this what mom meant? <laughs> she didn't really uh, know. Clarice, I think my listeners would love to hear you read a little of the story of Wilhelmina's butterflies. Oh, I'd love to do that. Okay, Wilhelmina's butterflies. Wilhelmina's lips moved softly. Franz Schubert's music is so beautiful, and she began humming along to Ave Maria. Ouch, she yelled, waking up holding a large pillow. She felt so silly and immediately realized it was Leon's way of waking her up. Her big brother was a jokester, and he seemed to enjoy teasing her. He laughed as Wilhelmina stuck out her tongue, smoothed her hair, and jumped out of bed. What's that awful noise? asked Leon. It's not awful, and it's not noise, Wilhelmina shouted, and walked over to the radio, listened to the music, and turned it up a notch. Before going to bed last night, Wilhelmina decided not to set her alarm as she usually did. Tomorrow, I want to awake to the music I love. I want to be awakened by an orchestra, she told herself. So she turned the radio to her favorite classical music station and set the alarm to wake her up at 7 o'clock. Sounds like you've done some reading before. <laughs> you read oh. often to children, and I under, in addition to your, your writing and the fact that you are supposedly retired, you also are doing reading events for other children, aren't you? Oh, yes, yes. Yes, other children, and I've done some events where children and adults were present, and they all seem to enjoy the story. Describe for me the writing process. Did this story just come to you recently, or is it one that you've had for a long time and just had the desire to put to print? Well, it's one that, I, that I've had, you know, in my heart for a long time. As a matter of fact, when I first started writing it, like a while back, it changed, you know, it has changed over time. I, it's not exactly how I wanted it to be, you know, when I first started. So it changed, which was, I think, a good thing because I have a better story than I would have had long ago. And and your book, because of the way you read the book, it's uh, it's an engaging story. It's not just a two or three line sentence per page. You've got a short book, uh, 28 pages, mm -hmm. but it actually mm -hmm. has an engaging storyline and dialogue. Yes, yes, it does. It does. It keeps you focused on Wilhelmina and her problems for the day. But she's excited, but it seems as though, you know, you might think, oh, she's not going to make it through this, but she does. Have you had any feedback from older readers? Have they also found this book entertaining? Oh, yes. Um, as a matter of fact, I was at an event, and um, the purpose was for children to read and appreci you know, appreciate reading and books. And their parents came along with them to my session, and they listened to the story, too, and they were just overwhelmed, and they can't get over that this little girl likes classical music. You know, and during my events, I always play some classical music, you know, to let them know what it sounds like, because you'd be surprised at mm -hmm. how many people, you know, don't really know what it is. Not many children do, for sure. It's no, uh, very, very rare don't. that families mm -hmm. are engaged in classical music and the classics, uh, not right. only in the music world, but also in the written world. 
Right. What do you want the readers to take away from your work? What is the underlying message that you have decided to share? Well, I think the underlying message is that, you know, all children need to be exposed, you know, to the world, to different topics in the world, current events, you know, to the arts. I'm an arts aficionado. I love the arts. And I feel like the arts make children more determined. They can lead them to setting their goals. I know that because, you know, as an artist, you have to practice a lot. That's true. That also helps in the classroom. So, you know, it just kind of interchanges there. Is there anything that you would say in a specific way to engage my listeners, get them interested in getting their very own personal copy of Wilhelmina's Butterflies? Sure. Well, for one thing, you know that the world is full of so much to learn and appreciate. Uh, Developing an appreciation for the arts, for instance, can help us be determined as people. And I want children to be determined as people. For parents, I think it would be wonderful for them to be able to share the story of Wilhelmina with their children, Um, especially the younger ones, the younger the better. They need to start early. I have read this story to children in kindergarten, and they seem to appreciate it just as much as the older kids. You've mentioned Wilhelmina. That's your main character, and her obnoxious yes. brother. Are there other are there other <laughs> characters in here that might uh, get their attention? Yes. Well, Penny is her is her best friend. So in the story, she's right next to Wilhelmina at all times. When you, if you go through the book and you look at the pages, you'll see. Penny is right there, her concerned person. Now, her music teacher, Mr. Speed, of course, he's very important in her life because she, he's the music teacher. He seems to be one of the only adults who really understands her passion for classical music. Now, the other characters are really in the story. I introduce um, the readers to the conductor or the maestro at the concert, and I think that's a very important person because he's the leader of the orchestra. So kids kind of get a feeling of what's going on at an actual concert. Uh, You cheated in using that character, didn't you? I mean, your husband was also a music (laughs) band director. Yes, I cheated. And you know what, though? It was so funny. I used him as the maestro, but he didn't even know he was going to be in the book. <laughs> uh, what, now, <laughs> no, did, he ob- I, did he object to you using his character or his style of uh, of directing in the book? Oh, no. No. he was. I think he was really thrilled about it because when he saw the first sample and he saw that his picture was there, he knew it was him because I really like sent them a picture and said, <laughs> I want the maestro to look something like this. <laughs> so, your, so your illustrator also uh, sort of stylized him, and he was obviously uh, in, in the book and, and, and someone that w- could be recognized by his friends mm-hmm. and colleagues. And yes. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. When people know, if someone knows him, when they turn to that page, they know it's him. <laughs> wonderful, <laughs> wonderful use of, uh, of uh, environment and people you know. Is there anything that's unique about your book? Uh, this is a, a fascinating story, and, and I think very well done. The illustrations are beautiful. Thank you. How would well, you describe it? Well, one thing that's unique about it is that I do have a, a copy of the program that Wilhelmina attended at Symphony Hall, and it has the um, 
music that they heard and the names of the music, you know, the classical music, uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, they have all of them. John Philip Sousa has different. It's set up exactly how it would be in a concert. You know, when you go to a concert, most of the time you're going to hear March 1st. Yes. At least, you know, and at the end you're going to hear something like that. And in between you have the other pieces, and it has all the, you know, some of the great composers there. That's something children can learn about. You know, they can learn about the composers that are listed there on the program. That's one of the things. And the other ones is I have Wilhelmina's notes at the back. It's a type of glossary, and it has a lot of the words that are mentioned in the story and the meanings. Yes, you have uh, things like applause, what that is, what that means, mm-hmm. and concert, mm-hmm. maestro, orchestra, mm-hmm. percussion, podium. There's a number, mm-hmm. there's a name that uh, most children have not heard of, podium. What is a podium? That, String, symphony, woodwinds, right. wonderful. So mm-hmm. your education background uh, didn't get set aside as you became an author. Oh, no. No. I'm, I'm a teacher, and I, I know what, what children need, you know, especially in reading. I was a literacy coach, a reading coach. Clarice, you've got notes in the back and other things. What was the purpose of that, just for the children, or did you hope that it went beyond just the reading of the book? Well, I would hope it would go beyond just the reading of the book. You know, you never just read a book and end it. You should extend it with more learning. So what I've done, I've also published Wilhelmina's Butterflies, a unit of studies, and teachers can actually use the book to introduce their students to classical music, there are activities and suggestions in the book to make you have a unit, and really you can study a whole year on classical music using this little book. Fabulous. <laughs> and do you have a website? I didn't ask that question yet. No, I don't have a website, but I'm working on it. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say it. this. If you announce on Facebook that you have a fan page, you'll have many people show up. So uh, we'd love to be oh, a fan of you. yours. Thank you again for sharing that. Beautifully done. This is a fun Thank book, you. and uh, certainly good timing. It would be an excellent gift for someone this time of year. The title yeah. again is Wilhelmina's Butterflies by Clarice Thornton Davis. Clarice, this is beautiful. Where do we get copies of it? Well, you can get copies at exlibris.com, Amazon, and also barnesandnoble.com. Have you been inspired to write a follow-up book to this particular novel? Yes. Yes, that's the one that's in my head now. Yes, another Wilhelmina story. Another Wilhelmina story. She's a great character. Thank you for sharing the background story and the story of your passion for education. I I love this book. I think it's uh, one that our readers and our listeners would enjoy immensely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it today. Thank you for letting me share it. I appreciate it so much. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 
25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris on Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, A Hunting We Did Go, True Mountain Adventures. And our author who joins me from British Columbia in Canada is Lloyd Antipowich. Welcome to the program, sir. Welcome to you, Jay. How would you describe your book? You have written six six books, some of them novels, some of them uh, true adventures. How would you describe this book? Well, Jay, this book is uh, probably uh, a book that uh, will relate to... Uh, people that love the outdoors and hunting and camping. Uh, but it, it's a book of probably the last uh, 50 years of my hunting experiences. I started quite young uh, from my learning from my father and uh, other people uh, and uh, just felt I had something maybe I could offer the, the people out there about, uh, about what hunting is really all about. In your uh, telling the tales of True Mountain Adventures, would you also call this a step-by-step on how to really get the best out of a hunting experience? Well, I'm not trying to write... I wasn't trying to write this book as a how-to book. Uh, I just uh, wanted to uh, share with people my hunting experiences, uh, some of the things I've done, some of the tricks I learned, uh, as uh, you might very well appreciate that uh, these are animals that we deal with and uh, they think and they are smart in their own environment. They uh, are pretty tricky to be able to sneak up onto and uh, to hunt. And my concept of hunting might be a little bit different than a lot of other people. I... Uh, I'm not a shooter. I uh, like to make a clean shot and uh, do it as quickly as possible. Uh, I like to get as close to the animal as I can, and uh, that requires a lot of skill and knowledge about the animal and about the environment they live in. And once you have found your prey and have uh, bagged a, uh, a catch, I guess is one way to describe it, then what happens? Well, then... Uh, Comes, uh, that's when the work begins, uh, because that's when, of course, you have to uh, prepare the, the, the meat, the carcass, or whatever you want to call it, for uh, transporting it back to your camp to where you can uh, uh, look after it, whether, uh, depending on what the weather is, whether you might need to smoke it or you might need to shelter it from rain or, or snow. Uh, these are all some of the things that you need to do. Uh, one of the things I learned was uh, I, I prefer, which is not always the easiest thing to do, if you're going to have to, say, pack it uh, for 
five or six hours on a horse, it's easier to leave the hair on the hide, uh, on the animal, than to take it off because it's it's probably a little easier to keep the meat clean. But the the one of the best ways of of preserving the the true taste and flavor of your meat is to cool it as quick as it possibly can. One of the things that you have described there reinforces the fact that you are not just a trophy hunter. You are a consumer of the meat as well. Well, Jay, I, like I say, I started hunting when I was old enough to pack a little bow and arrow around. And from there, I grew into where I ended up now. But, yes, my, my dad was a hunter and a gatherer. Uh, we lived uh, next to an Indian reserve that uh, uh, encompassed two-thirds of our homestead that my dad owned. And so, uh, you know, these people were strictly hunters and gatherers. And uh, so I learned from them uh, the necessity of, you know, uh, going out and getting something to bring home to be able to put on the table. Your book is uh, filled with wonderful photos and a little bit of narrative about places you've been and things that you have accomplished and done as a hunter. Lloyd, how would you describe the, I guess, the ideal reader for your work? Well, you know, uh, I guess as you go along, I, I haven't been doing this for too many years, but as you go along, you, you, you get little surprises all the time. And one of them just occurred to me this year that how many women are actually out there hunting. Uh, and so it, it can apply to them. Uh, I, I just got a review here about a month ago from a 13-year-old boy that goes out hunting. And it, it was something that just made me sit back. I read that thing about three times before I put it down. Because here was a young kid only 13 years old that you would normally think of playing video games, and he was so enthralled with this book that he'd found on the shelf in Save-On Foods that he wrote me a review. Incredible. And told me how much he enjoyed it. Fabulous. Of the adventuresome things that you have not only done but have recounted in this book, what is going to stand out to the reader? Is there one particular incident that startled you and you included in the book, or is there uh, something perhaps that was a little frightening that happened and you survived? Oh, uh, there's been frightening adventures. Uh, yes, I have to admit this. Whenever you're out in the, in the wild and uh, you're hitting yourself against these animals, um, they, uh, they're much larger than you, for one thing, and uh, they are uh, sort of trying to survive like anything else that's alive. So when they're cornered, they will fight, whether they're big or small. And if you should encounter uh, a bull moose or a cow moose or a grizzly bear, uh, I can assure you in the right situation, they will fight you. Uh, and uh, they don't mean to just scare you. Uh, they will fight for their survival. Uh, but also the small things will. Uh, something as small as a squirrel 
if he is uh, in a trap and you reach down to pick him up, you better be careful you know exactly how to grab a hold of him or he will bite you. And I've got scars on my fingers from over the years to prove that I had made mistakes and uh, they certainly reminded me. Chapter 26 is Eye to Eye with a Massive Grizzly. That was one chapter that caught my attention. Well, boy, it caught my attention, too, let me tell you. I uh, I was going down to the little river to get some water uh, for the camp, and uh, I had saddled my horses all up. I, I was actually going out to pick up two of my hunting buddies that had camped out on a mountainside several nights looking for rams. And so I didn't know just what I was going to run into when I uh, went out there, whether they'd be there. We had no communication for two days. So uh, I was preparing my camp for everything that I could. I I had kindling and and witch's beer ready to make a fast fire. Um, I had lots of dry wood in the tent. And I uh, thought, well, I'll get a bucket of water. So if I get in late, I don't have to walk in the dark to go get this water. And as I was walking down this little trail to the river, uh, there was a bit of a hill there. And I, I came over this hill, and the first thing I noticed coming towards me on this trail was something black. And uh, the first thing I thought of was, well, is it a moose? And then I, I stopped, I looked at it, and I said, oh, no, this ain't a moose, this is a bear. And uh, it turned out that it was a grizzly bear, and not just a bear, a large bear, a very large bear. Yeah, nine and to ten feet tall. I had tall. left wow. my gun on a little table in front of my tent, and we were about 30 yards apart from each other, looking at each other. Now, you know... Uh, there's when you have dealt with nature and animals as long as I have, there are some things you you learn to do. You either learn to uh, stand, be quiet, and not agitate anything if you possibly can help it, or maybe you can run if that's what's going to save your bacon. In this case, I knew I could not outrun this bear, and. Uh, I stood my ground, and we just eyeballed each other for what seemed to be a long time. And uh, I can tell you, it it worked. I'm here to talk with you. Mm. And uh, it was uh, close enough that uh, just the blink of an eye could have changed the decision. And uh, I'm sure I would have been ripped apart like a rag doll. Incredible. You you have some beautiful photos in here, photojournalism, I would call it, of uh, not only your hunting expeditions, but also some nature shots that are spectacular. Uh, you, in addition to to uh, hunting, you also take, you go into the hunting areas by horseback quite often. Usually. I, I, I have no time for uh, hunting with a pickup or a quad. Uh, if I want to hunt, I, I want to go out with horses. I like to go uh, back into the country that uh, is not so easily accessible. Uh, few people ever 
walked into the areas uh, that I have hunted in. And the reason for this is because uh, it's too far to walk, uh, and it's not accessible, even by, by quad. How long did it take you, Lloyd, to, to complete this book? Oh, this book, it, it didn't take that long to write, but you've got to appreciate that this book is, I drew on this book for probably better than 40 years. And uh, so a lot of the things that are in this book are my experiences that I've gained over the years uh, in hunting. Um, A big part of this book, of course, will be the hunting trip that my hunting partner, Leo Morset, and I took into the mountains. And uh, he was an awesome man to go with. I I don't know that I ever shared anybody's uh, personalities or thoughts with that were uh, as highly ranked in my mind as Leo Morset's. Uh, we could sit around a campfire and, and it just seemed like we could get inside each other's head because we understood each other and I understood how he thought, he understood how I thought, and we loved doing the same thing. And it, it was an awesome venture to go with a man like him. Lloyd, there's a lot of adventure in this book. What do you think the reader is going to take away from reading your story? Well, I hope that they would be able to take away um, something that was probably the, the most difficult for me to do was to translate into words what I saw when I was out in the mountains hunting. And the, the, the color uh, of the, the mountainsides, the, the meadows, uh, the timberland that we ride through with the horses, uh, the lakes, uh, just the beauty that Mother Nature has presented. And uh, to be able to go out there to uh, sit around a campfire uh, to smell the coffee, I, I, I hope that I can describe my my journey, and and that is to the point that they can smell, they can hear, they can see, they can taste the things that I've done, and I feel if I have accomplished that, then uh, um, they will go on a hunting trip that very few have ever been able to, uh, for the price of twenty dollars, which is. Uh, something just uh, outstanding. And uh, I I have got reviews back from people that have let me know that they have felt that way. They have felt like they were with me on on some of my hunts that I mentioned. So that, to me, is the most rewarding thing that I get out of telling this story in the written form. You've shared personal conversations as, lo- as well as the adventures that you have uh, experienced in your lifetime of, uh, of being a hunter. The title of the book is A Hunting We Did Go, True Mountain Adventures, and one that I think many people will enjoy reading, whether they're hunters or not, our author, Lloyd Antipowich. Lloyd, where can my listeners get copies of your book and your other books that you've written? Well, my, my, five of my books are... Uh, uh, 
printed by Exlibra, so uh, they can go to Exlibra to get them. Uh, they're also on Amazon, Nook, Barnes and Noble, and uh, of course on. They can contact me on my website, which is LloydAntipowich.com. And Lloyd Antipowich is is spelled Pardon me, dot .ca. Dot .ca. Yes. That that is Canada, dot correct. Yes. And yes. Lloyd is spelled with two L's, L L O Y D, and Antipowich yes. is A N T Y P O W I C H. You can do a search online, listeners, and get in contact with Lloyd and find out about his other adventures. He's he's a very interesting character. And no no offense, Lloyd, but you are an interesting character. And I enjoyed visiting with you about this particular book, A Hunting We Did Go: True Mountain Adventures. Thank you, Lloyd, for sharing your story with me today. Thank you, Jay. Pleasure for Ex Libris on air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris on air.